Question. How do you keep from getting eaten by a bear? Well, one way would be stop hugging every bear you see. <laughs> that profound advice welcomes you to episode 37 of What We Believe and Why with pastor, author, and teacher, Dr. George Byron Koch. How do you bring about reconciliation? Well, perhaps by evaluating those things that have proven so divisive and taking a fresh look at how Scripture addresses these elements of our faith. Some of them we might need to stop hugging so tightly. Now, some of you may have an alarm sounding in the back of your mind at the implication that some of your worship traditions may warrant a scriptural review. But if you share George's passion for an uncluttered and truth-based relationship with the living God, this exploration should, in fact, be an affirming one. Let's get to it now. Here's George. So now we're beginning to try to understand how to reconcile in the church. And the first part of this understanding of reconciliation is those things that are not going to lead to reconciliation. The ways in which we run away from it rather than toward it, where we are not ambassadors, but rather opponents of reconciliation. And it comes about, first of all, with fear. Fear that if I become an ambassador for reconciliation, to drawing together again the parts of the church which have split, often with great acrimony, that any attempt to bring them together again brings up in me the fear that the faith will be lost if any ground is given to those with different concepts about the church. Here's where our thinking typically goes. We must be true to the faith once delivered to the saints. Or, we must be true to the Holy Catholic Church. Or, we must be true to the great Reformed tradition. Or, we must be true to the progressive tradition. Or, we must be true to the Orthodox Church. Or, we must be true to the historic creeds. Or, we must be true to the Heidelberg Confession. Or, we must be true to the Westminster Confession. Or, we must be true to the dogmatic definitions of the undisputed ecumenical councils of the undivided church. Or, we must be true to the Anglican tradition. Or, we must be true to our evangelical witness. Or, we must be true to the insights of postmodernism. Or, we must be true to the 1769 standard text of the 1611 authorized version of the Holy Bible. Or, we must be true to the insights of the Enlightenment. Or, we must be true to science and Christian humanism. Or, we must be true to the Orthodox faith of the Church. Or, we must be true to the founders of fill-in-the-blank. Or, we must be true to the social gospel. Or, we must be true to our Baptist distinctives, or we must be true to sola scriptura, or we must be true to the insights of textual criticism, or we must be true to who we are, or we must be true to the tradition of scholarship, or we must be true to our academic foundations, or we must be true to our experience, or... I could go on for pages. This is not a conservative or liberal problem. We are all caught in this familiar trap. 
so familiar that we don't realize we are captive to it. And we are very defensive of our own positions. Whatever our theology is, we can't take a step out of it and consider whether there might be a wholly different way to live and move forward, a new heart understanding. But we fear that even considering this puts our faith at risk, as if the only alternative to defending our religious concepts is to fall into a pit of syncretism or universalism or into the jaws of our opponent's worldview, error, or sin. It is not so. Stay with me on this. It is a key to deep reformation and reconciliation in the faith, but it will likely also make your brain hurt as we work through it. Perhaps your heart as well. It makes both of mine groan. But press on with me, if you would. You may remember that back in chapter 11, long ago, rule-following and transcendent love, I talked about Kurt Goodell, the mathematician. Mathematician Kurt Goodell, in 1931, published a paper titled, I love this title, On Formally Undecidable Propositions, quote-unquote. It demonstrates that in rigid logical systems or in any clearly stated set of rules, there will be some decisions or propositions that are undecidable, and that to decide them, one must go outside of the set of rules to a larger system or reality. Jesus anticipates this in his life and teachings. It was there 2,000 years before Kurt Goodell. I'm going to reprise a little bit of that here. It sets the foundation for escaping the trap that holds us all captive. Listen first to what Paul says in describing the limits of the law and the coming of Jesus. Here's Paul. Well then, why was the law given? It was given to show people how guilty they are. But this system of law was to last only until the coming of the child, Jesus, to whom God's promise was made. If the law could have given us new life, we could have been made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures have declared that we are all prisoners of sin. So the only way to receive God's promise is to believe in Jesus Christ. That is, we must rely on a reality outside of and greater than the one in which we are living. Again, while we exist within this set of moral, ethical, and religious rules or concepts, we cannot act, decide, or live in a purely loving way. The law is insufficient. Kurt Goodell realized in 1931 that no system of rules could answer every question it raised some 1,900 years after Paul talked about this and Jesus declared our freedom. Nearly 2,000 years later, mathematics catches up with Jesus Christ. Paul, in explaining what Jesus teaches, 
is in effect saying that there must be the transcendent that comes from beyond the system and its rules from the kingdom of God. It is that transcendence by which Jesus brought freedom of action, freedom finally to fulfill the purpose for which we were made. And again, here's what Scripture says. Until faith in Christ was shown to us as the way of becoming right with God, we were guarded by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until we could put our faith in the coming Savior. But now that faith in Christ has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. So you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, Jesus makes it clear that following the rules is insufficient, and he takes us outside of the rules by the invasion of the kingdom of God into our physical kingdom. He takes us outside of the rules in order to know what is true and to help us to know how to decide what to do, that is, how to love. Scripture again, referring to Jesus But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they thought up a fresh question of their own to ask him. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, that sounds like a rule, albeit a really important one. But in fact, this command takes us out of the rules. It transcends them. It brings heaven to earth. It connects us to the creator of the box in which we live. The rules that we have had inside that box, inside the system, are insufficient, incomplete. Jesus says it. Scripture says it. Goodell, the mathematician, says it. And scientists and even artists realize it. Jesus in the first commandment takes us outside of the box. Love God. Why? Because God is not in the box. God made the box. Then the second is like unto it. And this is how the transcendent moves into the world we occupy. Love your neighbor as yourself. The transcendent love of God pours through us into the world we occupy. Simple obedience to the rules, which by themselves cannot work, is insufficient to the task, even when they rest on moral and ethical behavior. God's concern is always about love, always about loving relationship, always about building up and not harming. His concern is not about the mere fulfillment of ritual obligations or the following of the law. We'll listen how Scripture teaches this through the words of Paul in just a moment. Thanks, George. That's a freeing thought, that God is looking for loving relationships between himself and those around us, even those who may be practicing faith traditions that are different than ours. Scripture does not define love as only being available to those of a particular school of thought. And those of us who are believers don't need to look far beyond our own noses to find examples of God's grace. We'll continue our look at reconciliation after this short break. 